Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Okay, it is our custom at this time to go around and introduce ourselves. Uh, uh, I suggest we pause a little bit before we get to the next uh, person, or after uh, the next uh, previous person talks. So that we might remember two or three names. <laughs> So let me start with myself. Uh, my name is Oswaldo. I'm David. Patrick. Lee. I'm Ryan. My name is Cass. No, Michael. I'm Sean. I'm David. My name is Jim. My name is Katie. I'm Michael. My name is Jerry. I'm Hannah. My name is Paul. Peter. George, Baruch, Robert, Joe. My name is Philip. Tucker. I'm Adam. Hi, I'm Ricky. Tom. Teddy. John. My name is Carl. My name is Roy. Dennis. My name is Ray. Paul. Tatuan. David. <coughs> My name is Jerry. I'm Jesse. I guess we've got everybody except our uh, honored uh, speaker today. Uh, if you were looking at the uh, newsletter, uh, you might have noticed that today we had uh, Senator Mark Leno uh, uh, scheduled and uh, canceled. I uh, you don't know the, the, the reasons, but uh, uh, we're very uh, uh, grateful to have uh, a good friend of the Sangha uh, who uh, graciously allowed me to, to make a very brief introduction since I don't have all of the credentials. Uh, but um, <laughs> but uh, our speaker is uh, Jana Draka, who is uh, a wonderful speaker and comes here fairly frequently. And I'll turn the floor over to you. Thank you. Oh, that was <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can, you know, I, I can say a few more things. <laughs> well, it's just lovely, lovely to see everyone. And uh, I'll just take a 30-second break for those of you who came specifically to see Mark Lino. I really don't mind if you <laughs> greatly disappointed. Or um, I'd like to dedicate this talk to my teacher, Blanche Hartman, and uh, her husband, Lou Hartman, and my dear, dear Dharma brothers, John King and Isan Darcy, and to all of you. Wonderful to see you. I met a nun from Cambodia last week who said she had gone to the worst Dharma talk she'd ever heard. <laughs> so I thought, well, there's a nice low standard. <laughs> I said, what was so bad about it? She said, well, the person who was giving it spent 45 minutes talking about the fact that they do Dharma talks without notes for 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> <laughs> to avoid that, I brought a few notes. 
uh, someone just said to me on the way in, you know, well, 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 we all know you channel this. So um, actually, Jana couldn't come today. Um, she was absolutely exhausted. Uh, she went to the faux drag queen competition last night <laughs> and, and sat there thinking, if only I'd put a dress on, I could have won this. <laughs> So, um, yeah, uh, I'm actually her twin brother, Tommy. So. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi, guys. So, what the Buddha said, of course, is where there is uh, perception, there is deception. Um, and that's a very, very interesting um, idea, given that all of us sometime in our lives have suffered from other people's perceptions of us and their responses to that. But the most important perception, I would say, is the one we have of, of ourselves. Because after all, when it gets right down to it, you're the one you're going to be living the rest of your life with, no matter what happens up and down with other people. You're your own kind of bedrock, you know. And uh, how... How does that work for y'all? <laughs> I, I notice that sometimes it's a lot easier to be kind and loving and so forth that way, you know, helping other people, doing something good, being. You know. But I notice for myself anyway that doing it this way is is kind of harder, you know. I, I was kind of aware of people when we were sitting there. There was a lot of discomfort. A lot of people thinking they should be sitting a certain way and, and oh my God, there's people around, you know, they, they might notice if I move or twitch or, you know. Personally, I thought I was beginning to drool at one point. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we do tend to kind of keep ourselves to a rather high standard, you know. Um, it's okay to have ideals, but what about reality? What about what's happening right now? And we're often so caught up in other stuff, mainly in this, in what we're thinking, what's going on with thinking, that we miss this right here. We miss the beauty of, of you know, this very, very moment. And after all, each breath is a gift. We don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow. For all the great, you know, the best laid schemes of mice and men going after glee, go awry, you know. And when I sit here with everybody, I, I just feel love for everybody because we don't know how long we're going to be here. And if we can let go of judgment, that's a good one. If we can let go of the things that stop us really seeing each other and just being with each other and accepting each other, that's what I think of as enlightenment or nirvana or just being right here. And I think that really starts with ourselves. So one of the things that we tend to get caught up in is worry. So I was saying to Jim coming over in the car that I thought a solution to that is if I gave you something to worry about that was so enormous and so out of control, like most things actually are. Right? As Gertrude Stein said, when everything is so frightening, nothing's really frightening anymore. So um, I've, I found a fact lately that if you want to worry about something, here's one to worry about. And you can't do a thing about it, just like life. Okay? So some of my students who know me very well um, gave me a book recently called Blame It on the Dog. <laughs> uh, it was a follow-up book to his first book called Who Cut the Cheese <laughs> I bet Mark Lena wouldn't have talked about <laughs> so what you might not know is about half a mile below the ocean floor, the ocean bed, there's billions and billions and billions of these single-cell creatures live. Right? And this is real, this is fact, you can check the book and see. Um, and what they do all day long is chew on, on, you know, dead dinosaurs and things like that, and f 
produce methane. So, at the moment, they're mostly kept down there because it's very cold. And there's kind of a layer of cold, freezing cold, that keeps them from coming up to the surface. Right? However, it did happen, uh, I forget which state it was in, it happened in a lake. Some of them came up to the surface, and a lot of people died, actually, in cows and things. So... If you want to worry about something, why don't you just worry about something like that? You know, that famous poem, This is the way the world ends, this is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. Well, it's actually not with a whimper, but a bang. So there you are. There's one solution to everyday worry. Just you can just imagine if that you know apparently it's the force of greater than the force of all the nuclear weapons we have in the world. So there you are. Now doesn't that set your mind at rest? <laughs> I can see a lot of smiling, peaceful faces, and some people looking at me like who let her in? <laughs> I did actually have some other suggestions for um, working with this, this constant distraction. Um, of course, I don't like reading things that much, but um, a couple of weeks ago I was looking through um, an old magazine and something struck me so hard. Here we are. Thinking is an attempt to categorise. We see what we experience in light of what has happened in the past. That's what I mean about perception, deception. Uh, You can't even taste something and say it's good or bad unless you're comparing it to something you've already had in the past. So we tend to live our lives reliving again and again and again those old perceptions. They're stuck up. Well, I won't say the mind's here. That's a a whole other set of lectures. I had a a Tibetan teacher before I came to Zen practice and he said that's the biggest question that people need to sit with to contemplate is where is the mind? It's a very good question. Um, Conceptual thought will not allow us to see things new. If we want to experience things as they are, Conceptual thinking about those things must come to an end. Now, I wouldn't say it must come to an end, because, you know, the, the, the mind produces thoughts, the brain produces thoughts all the time. I would say being able to be with, but we'll get to that later. Um, when this thinking stops, we're right there with what is happening. So that that is the point there, that... We often talk about seeing, my teacher says, things as they is. Seeing reality as it is without bringing a whole load of other stuff to it. And that can be kind of tricky. Um, How do we get kind of control over this mind which we can't even see or present or, you know, where is it? What is it? You know, we, we go like this, this is my mind. Well, no, that's your brain, actually. And folks in uh, Japan, for example, Shin, um, the character Shin is heart-mind. So, you know, where is this thing that we're always worrying about anyway? <laughs> it's, it's quite an interesting um, question to sit with. But nevertheless, we have to find ways to work with it because, as you know, having your mind be disturbed or caught up on, on, on some unpleasant object can destroy your life. It can destroy your experience of life. Um, for example, myself, by the time I was a teenager, I was already so depressed that I was suicidal. I didn't want to be here. My perception of the world was it was full of cruel people that went round hating each other and um, you know, especially I was never I never managed to appear straight in my whole life and that, that whole feeling of dissonance I mean the whole thing was such a horrifically unpleasant experience and I for one never imagined that I could ever get away from that I thought, I mean I tried to kill myself when I was 15 I thought that was it, life was like that that was my fixed perception of what life was like 
There's nothing worth getting up for in the morning. Nobody will ever really love me. People might love me, but if they really knew me, they wouldn't. Because I'm this broken, flawed person. And I managed to carry that perception all the way through without even becoming aware of it. I didn't know. I just thought that's how things were. Here's this, you know, stupid person that's ruined their lives. You know, of course, it was all my fault. You've got to remember, it's always your fault, right? It's always your fault if something's wrong. Don't forget that. So I had that complete perception. Um, and it wasn't until I actually took up the practice of zazen, which means just sitting, the most basic, basic, basic form of meditation, just being aware of what's right here, that first of all I actually noticed <laughs> that I had all of this going on, that it wasn't me. And that's really important to know. You are not your feelings. It might be an interesting shift to make in your thinking to say, not I am angry, I feel angry. Gives you that one step away. You are not your feelings. These vehicles that we're driving along in, all different shapes and sizes and all the rest of it, all the big fuss that's made about these things that we're in, that's not us. We're in this vehicle. We're riding along in this vehicle, and this vehicle sometimes has problems. You know, uh, my left leg's gone to sleep, you know. Um, <laughs> I got a haircut like a poodle at the moment. <laughs> well, that's because, I, you know, I, I, I work with folks in my tree hospice, and one of my dear friends there, I used to be a stage manager uh, of An Evening at Lacage, which was a female impersonator show. And there were only two women-born women in the show, myself and Michael Jackson. And I just absolutely love that. I'd love to get back to the theatre and do more. But it's all theatre, anyway. Um, but one of my dear ones is in Maitri Hospice. And just to let everyone know, I was talking to someone about it yesterday, and they said, oh, how depressing to work there. People are going to die. I said, no, no, no. Maitri Hospice was one of the first AIDS hospices founded by dear Isan Dorsey, drag queen extraordinaire and Buddhist Dharma ancestor. Um, and most of the people now, thankfully, as we know, the plague's lightening up, and most of the people are now there for uh, respite care. So it's actually one of the most <coughs> joyful places you could be. There's nothing like being around people that are just looking at reality straight on. You know, none of, you can't get all fancy when, when you. you know. <laughs> anyway, where were we? <laughs> perception, perception. So, I guess I could say there's a, a kind of living example of the fact that things can change. And um, what changed for me was first becoming aware of what was going on, just actually that, just that practice, if you want to call it a practice, just quietly in a self-accepting way, not in a critical way, just becoming aware of what's going on. And there are really, really, really simple ways to do that. As you know, I, I left off living in the big Zen center years ago to go out into, mostly I teach in um, a community garden. And nothing could be more lovely for bringing you into the present than sitting with a tree, for example. Sitting with the breath, of course, is optimal. It's always there. You can simply become aware of the expansion in your, in your lungs and, uh, you know, and the inhale, the exhale. That's a really simple one and free, and it's always with you. But I find sitting in gardens and looking at the plants, you've got everything right there. You've got impermanence, you know, you've got great, great beauty, you've got interconnectedness. <laughs> That's all right, don't worry. <laughs> so that when it goes off at the opera, you have to really be <laughs> upset. <laughs> um, 
So, and especially um, animals, there's, there's dogs in that garden that people like to pick up and hold. You know, I've got tons of pictures of my cell phone of um, the ladies from the shelter. I bring them into the garden. They all sit there holding the dogs. It's just lovely. So, everyday things like that, you know, and slowing it down. What's the hurry? You know, what, you know. there's a new um, illness has started to rear its ugly head because people are forever only looking that far in front of them. <laughs> I'm serious. and It's an addiction. It's actually become an, identified as a, an addiction. Um, we need to look out, you know, we need to look at the horizon. But that's my suggestion, basically, for everyday practice for working on things that we all experience trauma, regret, worry, stress, whatever very, very simple everyday practice and then sometimes we're caught in something that's, that's more extreme you know, something that sounds oh that sounds great, yes I'll just sit there oh look at that tree, right there's no more worries I don't mean it in that simplistic manner but cutting through emotional cascades, for example, can happen as simply as, you know, oh, look at this stick. You know, can you just look at that and not make up any stories about it? And there's a few moments of nirvana. Just a wee bit of peace by looking at this. I don't know what it is either. I got, <laughs> um, I got it when I became a Dharma ancestor. So it's um, the teaching stick. I've waited years. It hasn't said a thing yet. But <laughs> one of these days. So, um, as you know, I'm a great believer in um, comedy also. In uh, lightening things up. And using things like comedy, dance... Any of the arts, you know, I think we're still too hard on ourselves a lot of the time. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. Pleasure which arises from what's in front of us. I, I can highly recommend a book I was reading lately called A Different Kind of Luxury. A Different Kind of Luxury. And it was about people in Japan... And apparently there are still lots of little pieces of farmland available because there's been a massive m movement into uh, urbanisation. And a lot of people have gone back to the land, so to speak. And they're mostly philosophers and they're, they're wonderful. And they're folks of a spiritual nature and they're advocates and make their own paper. And But it's, it's, it's a kind of real way to live. I don't think, I don't know if it would be possible here. But some of the, um, what they're coming up with, just from that simple way of life, I think is so relevant to us. And one guy, for example, who um, made his living with clay, he said that the trouble with a lot of us these days, when we mention pleasure or happiness... And, you know, our great constitution says we can run after that. What a terrible thing. Well, I can run after that the rest of my life. You know? And he says, what we've forgotten is that pleasure and happiness arise from what's right in front of you, from what you're actually doing. It's not an abstract thing that you go looking for. It actually arises from what's right in front. So, again, it's the same message message coming right back to what's right in front but as we were talking about hard times and um, sometimes it's necessary to be a bit kind of uh, tougher with yourself and I actually have some songs that I enjoy <laughs> because I find that just as you can't laugh and be stressed at the same time you can't sing and be stressed at the same time. So I thought maybe we might try this one today. We've been doing different forms of meditation lately, and um, I thought singing meditation might be kind of nice. And besides that, that was such a great skit night at that last retreat. Hands up who were out in that last retreat. 
Oh, not so many. Oh, Lord. Oh, you missed. Oh, wasn't that great? Wasn't that just the best? <laughs> we had, who was it? Yoni Mitchell. And, oh, it was so good. It was just wonderful. I think we should have a skip night every couple of months. By the way, just talking about um, living on the, the land and so forth... Um, Usually the topic of me and what I'm doing doesn't come up that much in Dharma talks because, as you know, that kind of distracts whoever's talking. (laughs) But this idea of getting back to the land, someone did say to me, um, the guys might like to hear what's been happening since you've been ill. So I just wanted to mention I did have a hell of a lot of burnout um, the end of last year, the beginning of this year. I have been taking it more slowly. If you want to see, the, the teachings had to come out, so if you want to see some of the direct teachings, actually a documentary maker came and filmed me. Now I warn you, I look like a 90-year-old man who's about to die. But the teachings are pretty good, so if you're looking for something like that just to uh, cheer you on, it was amazing to be able to do something when I was so ill. I didn't know if I was going to make it, to be honest. Um, so there's some great teachings. It's called Walking Through Peace, if you want to have a look at that, Walking Through Peace. But what's kept me going is the desire to have an urban retreat centre, somewhere within reach of the city that everybody, as you know, I welcome absolutely everybody in my groups and sittings. Everybody could come. Because I know when I've been going through hard times, if there were a place that I could get on the bus and get to, and I know there'd be someone there and we could sit together, we could have some counsel, that kind of thing, I would love that. And as I say, the garden has been working so well these last years. So only yesterday um, I've been going to work with therapy horses we have these large couches and they lie down. No. <laughs> it's, for, it's for differently abled children and, and it's wonderful. Um, anyway, one of the women who brings her horses there has been very kind and when I talked about burnout, she immediately said, oh, you must come to, you know, you can have the top bunk bed. She's straight, it's all right. You can have the top bunk bed and, you know, come and stay in my land. And then yesterday I was saying, well, I might be able to get some money to move out of where I'm living and yeah, it might be a chance. I'm still looking for this urban retreat centre and she said, I've got 85 acres. Novato. Mm-hmm. Would you come to Novato for a retreat? Um, so that's actually... I just wanted to share that news with you because honestly I love that retreat so much and I would love to be able to offer that. Uh, apparently it's lovely land, looking at the mountains... Um, uh, with the horses there and indeed therapy chickens <laughs> if you look on my Facebook page you'll see a picture of me with Diego the therapy rooster <laughs> and I said to Jim of course I've had a lot of comments about that <laughs> um, but it, it, we should all have a therapy rooster you know. if you pick up the rooster in fact it's so fond of me now I noticed I was sitting talking to someone yesterday and I felt something touching my leg. And I looked down and there's Diego with one wing out going like that on my leg. So I've you pick him up and what happens is if you're nice and calm, Diego gradually falls asleep. It's so light. His wee head goes whoop on your arm. <laughs> and then if you get agitated, Diego wakes up. So it's, it's so perfect. I spent about, must be an hour with Diego. So that will definitely be part of the program. Uh, you can all have your therapy rooster um, and have that. So I just wanted to share that because I've been working on this one for a while. And I almost gave up, to be honest, this year has been a wee bit difficult. And there's been people wanting me to go to Boulder and uh, different places, but I don't want to leave all my brothers, I really don't. And all the other people that, that are my family, my real family, you know. My other family doesn't talk to me, so no. <laughs> <laughs> So, 
Um, I just wanted to share that with you and I'll keep you all updated and uh, I hope at some point we can have a, a, a place of retreat. Um, as my countryman John Muir said, everyone needs nature to pray in and play in. And an awful lot of people don't have that. So um, I think our real temple is out there. It's just out there everywhere. So once again, um, maybe we'll have an opportunity to do that in the future. I should find out more this week. So, so um, there's been a song going through my head. And, you know, at the monastery, we used to play tricks on each other. It's great fun. You've no, you can hardly imagine what fun you can have when you're supposed to be being silent. You know? And uh, one of the most awful things you can do to people when you're in silence for three months at a time is to whisper a song to them. <laughs> it's difficult enough to just be with, you know, not try and get rid of all the talking, just be with it, because if you let it go on, it actually burns itself out, I can tell you. But songs, that's something else. You walk past someone and go, raindrops keep falling. <laughs> That's if you don't like them. You know? <laughs> but um, we're talking a lot here about getting caught in negative imaging. And um, again, I know I probably recommend this every time I speak now, but the book The Buddha's Brain. Um, I'll just mention it again. You've read it. Yeah, isn't that something? And very practical, very down to earth. Um, He's just basically telling us how to repattern our brain so that we're not stuck in the old patterns because this is, you know, it's Western science, just like the little creatures under the ocean bed. I mean, it's Western science that if we create, if we keep going up that same old pathway, if we keep bringing the old perceptions into the present, then we're constantly firing the same synapses we're making the same connections over and over and over, and that's what's called living in a rut. You know, you, you, you've built a way so that every time you experience a certain stimulus, there you go up that rut again. So he talks about actually putting positive images deliberately in our minds. And I actually did that. One of the breakthroughs for me was to find out that I'd had a horrible childhood, which sounds silly, but until I knew that, I couldn't do anything about it. And one thing that I didn't have when I went to a group for um, people who'd been abused was um, any memory at all of being hugged by my parents. I, couldn't, I had no recollection of any of them ever walking up and giving me this big hug. So I asked the therapist, was it all right if I made one up? <laughs> and it sounds daft, but it was such a, it felt like a big lack. Every time, you know, and people talk about their families and oh, I got a hug or something. And I just, it was such a miserable rut and I kept falling in it. So I made, a, I made one up. This lovely big hug that, you know, and we all three of us, me and my mum and dad. And it actually reminded me of a time when we did. So it was nice. But there's nothing wrong with putting in something positive. You know, the mind is like Velcro for negative experiences. <laughs> it really is. It's a scientific fact. It hangs on to the negative much harder than it does to the positive. It just, you know. So, I don't know that song, Accentuate the Positive. Would anyone like to burst into song? <laughs> well, then I will, because... <laughs> because... So you'll probably know the words to this one. And um, please, please, please join in. No. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, no religion too. 
Imagine all the people living life in peace. You, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live us on. Oh, thank you. That was lovely. Thank you. Thank you. So, just a wee recap because I'd love to leave plenty of time for discussions, questions, answers, all that kind of thing. Just a wee recap. First of all, Mr. Stick says, I often think I should get finger puppets. <laughs> By the way, probably some of you don't even know what the, this is. And I, I did mention earlier that I felt I was starting to drool. You know, well, actually, it's something. <laughs> it's a mini version of um, the full-size robe. Um, I have all these fancy robes, but I don't use I just dressed up for you guys. I, mean, I knew you'd like it if I dressed up. Um, so it's a, a miniature version of the large size robe that go, goes all the way around you. And um, in Buddhism, the colors are given importance. Um, blue is you've just taken your vows. Um, black is you've taken your monastic or priest vows. And brown is that you're um, a Dharma ancestor, which means that you're a holder of the lineage and can pass that on to other people. So, um, yes, indeed, it's a bib. Yes. So, I actually still can't believe this. Um, and if anyone is interested in more formal training, I do actually do that. I've had about seven people have taken Jukai, first level ordination already. And there's one sitting in the room that's busy sewing one of these because that's part of the practice. But I won't point him out because he'd be so horribly embarrassed, wouldn't you, Chris? Anyway. <laughs> sewing, as we're talking about everyday things, sewing is a great meditation for those of you that enjoy sewing. And in actual fact, with this, we even chant. Every stitch you, you do, Namu Kie Butsu, or I Take Refuge in Buddha. And it's very interesting. Some of you may have used chanting, and that also clears the mind wonderfully. You really can't focus on when you're you know, busy working on chanting. So that's the key, to first be kind to ourselves, because you can't be kind out the way that well without being kind to yourself. And it's not something that we're used to. So how do you calm down basically self-judgment, self-criticism? You know? And the thing is, again, I must emphasize this, don't try to stop these things happening. If you get in a fight with it, it's just indulging it more. So if you watch the anger arise, remembering that it's not yourself. You can watch it and find a peaceful way to sit there. I guarantee you, if you watch something, that even something like anger that feels like a great call to action, if you can learn to watch it, it does burn itself out. So it's a lovely way to um, clear the mind. And remember, the mind is like Velcro for the negative stuff. So, go at it slowly, and then use humor, use song, use anything you like to stay right here present, instead of always bringing out this, these old perceptions and continuing to, to lead that same old, same old. So... <sighs> It um, certainly helped me, I mean, just to go back to the personal. Um, I uh, 
was actually locked away for a while and some people say I should never have been released you know? <laughs> I mean when I say I'm crazy I, I have a certificate to prove it <laughs> so I escaped to America and compared to you guys I look so normal <laughs> <laughs> no it's a thin line I think <laughs> um, self acceptance absolutely so important um, and you can't accept yourself till you really just notice without judgment what's going on you know I, I was kind of horrified when I discovered what, what age would I be uh, in my late 40s it was when I discovered why I had all these patterns of behaviour all left over from things that happened in childhood I didn't know I just thought there were parts of me that were kind of unacceptable and rather strange and sometimes I did stupid things and often I drank too much and oh what the hell, you know. Because I had no idea that all, every single one of these negative self-hurting things were actually the result of things that happened when I was younger and I was just reliving it and reliving it and reliving it. So give yourself the gift of freedom. Give yourself that gift. And it's as simple as singing a nice song, looking at someone that you care about. I find these floorboards to be very effective. Mm -hmm. These are great floorboards, you know. And everyone has something that they can sit down and just have a look at. Or, if you're more active, just use your feet. Do the old feet meditation. Foot down, foot lifts. Foot down, foot lifts. And it, it does not mean that you lose all your critical fac faculties and you turn into someone that goes around going, duh, oh, well, I don't know. Although that's not so bad. Yeah. It's just you can, as I say, live freely, really, really freely in this moment, not in what you thought about that, some similar moment like that 30 years ago. You know, and I can tell you, watching your thinking you know, in the monastery, for example, for years, it's quite horrifying. I rarely came up with the meaning of life or how to help everyone or end world hunger. I more often came up with something someone said to me 35 years ago that deeply offended me. And I'd sit there and have a... Oh, I'll, I should have said this and that. If they had said that, well, they, how dare they... And it was astonishing to sit there all that time and realise what, how little of the time that we're actually right here. So, give yourself a break <laughs> and um, come right here. And uh, it's especially lovely to come right here with everybody on a Sunday morning. So, maybe one of these Sundays I'll get up out of bed when I'm not talking and come right here too. So I'd like to open up to any questions, anything like that, and uh, thank you for your patience. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, I heard a great line on television, a daughter talking about her aging father, and she said, he's got Irish Alzheimer's, he forgets everything but the grudges. <laughs> that is terrible. Have we any Irish people? <laughs> yes. So I'm assuming most of us don't have therapy boosters, but uh, a lot of us have dogs or access to dogs. Would you have any recommendations for meditative or mindful practices to do with the dogs, since you seem to do stuff in the community gardens? Well, you know, the, the, and please make yourself comfortable. Oh, my. Um, the thing is that another cause of our great suffering, as you know, you know, we've got the three seals, impermanence, uh, the fact of suffering or the end of suffering, and no self. Those are the kind of three ways of identifying things there. Um, and being stuck on ourselves is an enormous cause of suffering. It's seen as the primal cause. They call it the, you know, the noble truths. There is suffering, what's the cause of it? Always trying to get something for me, you know. So, in actual fact, you don't have to think up anything. Why don't you let the dog think it up? You know, just be with the dog. Not, oh, I'm going to take the dog and I'm going to do this, that and the other thing. But why don't you try letting the dog tell you? 
It's like one of my students um, um, is in a wheelchair and she has a practice of going out to the front of her house and not deciding where she's going to go. Most of the time we're so busy controlling. Remember the, the, the article said thinking is a way to try and control things. So I would say give it over to the dog. You know, take it to the park, see where it wants to go. You know, and try not to think about yourself during that time. You know, think about how nice their hair is. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi there. Hi. I don't know if you remember my dog Rocket. Um, yeah. Uh, my dog uh, at the Q Sango. I brought my dog into. Uh, Q-Sango a few times, and um, I always thought it was so much fun to have dogs meditating with us, and um, and then you're bringing up the idea of roosters and horses. So, um, but you know, it seems like a, my, my uh, observation seems like we're also human centric. You know, it's like uh, this is only having to do with people when there's a whole world around us that has of life that is not human. And I remember one time meditating, uh, and I was feeling sorry for myself because I was feeling so lonely. And all of a sudden, I heard this fly um, buzzing around the room. And uh, it occurred to me that I really wasn't alone there was a fly in the room. And it was quite a eye-opening experience because uh, I was just sort of negating that whole world of the animal world, the insect world. So um, to make a long story short, I, I was thinking it would be so much fun sometime to have an animal um, <clears throat> dharma talk. Um, you know, sometime where animals would be invited um, and uh, see what we can learn about that. Whatever. Because <laughs> I just enjoyed it so much when you had that in your queue sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how it would be in this facility. I'd be happy to do that. I mean, still on Monday nights, if. People want to <laughs> if people want to come to Glide on Monday nights, um, well, we often uh, people bring their dogs there and people bring their dogs to the garden. We did stop someone bringing a cat because that wasn't fair to the cat. But and then of course you can get your own dog in the garden because there's often dogs there and there are chickens, although I haven't looked into taking them out of the chicken coop and holding on to them yet. You know, but you're right. I mean, it's a lovely way to remember that we're absolutely interconnected, you know. And I, I, I often think how stupid that, um, what do you call that, whatever you call it, that puts us at the top of the chain of life. I mean, we're so troubled. I would put cats at the top of the chain of life, or, you know, dogs, or maybe elephants. I mean, why the hell are we at the top of the chain? It's ridiculous. You know, ducks have more peace than we do. I mean, <laughs> so you're right, yes, yes, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, Is it? Could you, uh, uh, just before I forget it, you mentioned the, uh, a couple of things, the garden, mm -hmm. and it could, uh, where, where is it located? Uh, and when Actually, if you go on, I have, I have a website, so if you go, just my name, Jana Draka. With two Ks? Yes, yeah. not three, yes. Um, <laughs> Then the schedule's right there, but it's it's actually on Howard Street between Seventh and Eighth, and it's a community garden. You can't get in unless you know the the magic word. You shout Jana, and you can get in. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what makes it nice because you know it's a regular bunch of people, so it's not there's nobody wandering by or you know bothering you or anything. It's just a nice experience and. You know, the idea for a, an urban retreat centre actually came from seeing that most people that live downtown or in the big SRO hotels and so forth, and anyone can live there, 
And I've been homeless. I'll just repeat that in case anyone didn't know that. Um, you just have to become disabled in this town to end up in one of those SRO hotels. And there's no living room. There's no kitchen to hang out in. There's no garden to hang out in. So actually most of the folks you see sitting around on the streets... They're not homeless. In fact, I know most of them now. <laughs> um, there's just nowhere else to be. So that's why I've been kind of following this idea of a, a garden, a large garden, a piece of land, somewhere that people can get to, um, no matter what your income is. You know. Um, so that's the, the idea of the retreat centre. And there'll be dogs and... First thing I asked when they offered, you know, they said I should come and look at the land was, can I have a dog? And they said, yes, as long as you fence in your garden. And I garden? Oh, my God, when did I ask for the garden? You, know, you have to fence in the garden because of the coyotes and the deer. <sighs> anyway, we'll see what happens. But meanwhile, Howard Street between 7th and 8th. Is that associated with sanctuary shelter near there? Uh, no, no, it's just a. It used to be a nice little children's play park, then it became Needle Park. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some Filipino folks took it over and did beautiful murals, and, and then now it's uh, community plots for people that live around there. Although when I said it's community plots, someone said, Do you mean burial plots? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anything? Yes. Why do you think the brain has a preference for the negative or bias for the Ah, aha! I know this one. Yes, you're right. You're right. You got it. You know it too. Yeah, you know there's just one large shared brain. (laughs) I said there's only one large shared brain. Anyway, you know the answer to this one. Survival, exactly. The brain is still the same brain as when you know we had to constantly scan. Oh, is that a saber-toothed tiger? You know. Oh, an elephant. You know. Oh. And it still does that. Somehow the brain, in a way, hasn't caught up. And it still scans constantly. And, of course, it scans for threats. It doesn't usually go around scanning for... Well, sometimes we do, you know. (laughs) Scanning for pleasure, yeah. I think that's called cruising. (laughs) But mostly the brain is trolling around for the negative things so that we can be careful and protect ourselves. And in actual fact, we have an intuitive intelligence. When we stop all this blah, 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 and look at this and, oh, what's that... Our bodies have their own intelligence. They have their own wisdom. They can completely come up. Your body will not, most of the time, let you do something stupid. But we've lost trust with our bodies. That's why movement, dance, that kind of thing is so important. Focusing on the breath is good because it brings you back to your body. So Hmm, There is that wisdom. We all have it. I've heard of a great exercise, I try to remember it sometimes. It's like when you're in a negative thought, pet your reptilian brain. Oh, <laughs> because it is a part of us, it will always be there. But if we take a moment just to pet it and say, oh, this is a part of us, this is trying to, you know, might be, that's been dangerous, yeah. but yeah. we're still there. So it kind of brings yeah. you back to center. That's a good so, one. Yeah. So we're talking about animals here, we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's that old famous Buddhist story, of course, of. Uh, Stick or snake that illustrates that one. Guy walking in the forest sees something lying there. Oh my god, it's a snake. You know, no, it was a stick. You know. But that the brain looks for that all the time. You know. That's why I was saying replace it sometimes deliberately I mean, with songs or something. So I saw another hand somewhere. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say there is the idea though that, that some part of us must be attracted to negativity. Because, I mean, look at television and look at the way people go Sensation. toward news. Most news is negative kinds of things. But did we come up with that? Did we, did we come up with that, you see? Well, don't get me started. Most of the media is run by, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I believe that what's presented on the news is actually to keep us in control. It's a fear-based reality that reports themes of the day to keep us... Well, that may be true, but however, 
there have been positive kinds of news programs that don't get... Um, well, they, they say it's that, that reaction. It's like why yeah. people go to horror movies. You know, know. you can get terrified and scream, and it's not happening to you. <laughs> it's that naked woman, and you can tell as soon as someone gets naked and gets in a shower. You know, <laughs> it's always going to happen. Then. It's, it's actually a psychological thing of to see the danger happening to someone else. It gives you a feeling of relief and laughter often, um, even if you're, ah because it's not happening to you. So there's that effect also. You know. um, strange creatures, really. There was someone in a group that was in back east that was talking about, it was either a radio program or a television program that I hadn't really heard of, but you know, it just presented the good news. And it, was, it wasn't very well known. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we do have that. You notice, you know, all the, the Buddhist, uh, you know, the precepts, there's ten of them, and four of them are about the way we speak, because there's nothing more juicy than a good bit of gossip, you know. And I remember last time, it was ages ago, oh, I was so unwell the last time I was here, I remember. Someone mentioned that someone was coming soon to talk about right speech, and I thought, they're going to have to be really careful and creative because we're gay men. And part of being a gay man is like bitching, right? <laughs> so there's something in our history that's about that and we must be careful not to lose, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's very interesting, right, speech. I just thought I'd throw that into the mix. Yeah, yeah, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned a documentary that you've made while you yes. were very, very ill. Yes. I'm just curious to know maybe a couple of snippets as to some of the insights that you um, meditated on while you were very, very ill. Yeah, it was, it was, thank you, it was kind of shocking. I mean, it had been coming for a while. Um, basically, a lot of what's going on is since I've been in the monastery, I've, um, I really need peace at my home and I didn't have it um, I had a person that's door very disturbed the louder he got the more ill I got um, I've been okay this year got new neighbours um, but when they had children there for a week I ended up in hospital again which is why I'd love to get to the countryside <laughs> um, but I, I didn't know what was going to happen I, I didn't know if I was going to make it they um, didn't want me to go home at all I was in the hospital for a few weeks and they wanted to put me into some kind of care home nursing home but 99% um, of the people that meet me think I'm a, a man a gay man actually and they couldn't find a place to put me uh, you, if I go in women's restrooms they scream and run out so I ended up with a bed, a hospital bed in my living room. Um, and I didn't know what to do. It was so strange. I was terrified, of course. My income was gone. My health was gone. I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to live or not. I seemed to be extremely ill. And quite off it in my head as well. It turned out that my system's very delicate and I can't take the usual medicines at all. Now they only give me children's doses. But I didn't know that. And anyway, it was, my teacher gave me a book. And it's called, and I can highly recommend it, it's called How to Be Sick. And it was written by this woman who, la la la, going along just fine. And then her husband and she had been saving up for a holiday in Paris forever. And finally, they managed three weeks in Paris. And they get there, and the first day... Um, she was a judge or something like that. The first day she's there, she gets flu-like symptoms. And at the time of writing the book, 10 years of flu-like symptoms have been going on. No diagnosis, unable to work, husband and kids, all the rest of it. How do you live your life when something earth-shattering hits you and you don't know if you're going to be alive tomorrow? And that was, that was the book. And that felt like what I had to deal with. And I can't tell you how important, vital, life-saving it was to be able to sit with whatever was going on. It was really, really hard. I'd waking up every morning, like, oh my God, what? 
I couldn't do anything, you know. Health workers coming to clean the house, and never had that in my life before. But that's where being with what is—that's where the rubber meets the road. That I was so grateful every day for my practice. Now, otherwise, I really would have gone crazy. I just didn't know what to do. So, yeah, that was the biggie: is learning to, you know, and <coughs> knowing that's the thing of looking at impermanence. It's not miserable. Yes, we're all going to pass on. Yes, we are. And that isn't miserable. That's what makes it worth being here. That's what makes every moment so precious. You know, if you go to Maitri Hospice and hang out with the folks there, and, you know, every moment's so precious because you never know. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was very shattering, really. Um, but it just reminded me that, yeah... I'm going to go at some point, and that's why the documentary, because <coughs> what comes out of my mouth had to, you know, it had to be recorded. It did, didn't ever stop. I was lying there with like these fantastic Dharma talks <laughs> pouring through, and I didn't know what to do with them. But luckily, this guy started taping it. So. Walk, walking through peace is what it's called. Well, I, I think we have to stop, don't we? Yes, yeah, we uh, definitely do. Yeah, Sorry. Would you mind staying around for, for our social Oh, no, I'd love to stay around. So, if anybody has any extra uh, questions, uh, they can ask him about one. Uh, so, uh, thank you so much for, uh, for a wonderful talk. Thank you. Um, any announcements? Um, Last year, somebody might have remembered if you were at the retreat that we did, we performed a couple of songs from my play about the founding and the early days of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Well, this afternoon, the SF Primetimers, which is a gay elders social group, has invited me and some friends to do a script in hand a reading of the script without the songs. Um, and so Paul Shepard and um, Paul E. Brown, Sister Lovely Mary Ross, are going to be among the people who are going to do the reading this afternoon at the Unitarian Church from 2 to 4. It's not the entire script, but it should be fun. And it's going to be an exercise in meta theater because four of the original sisters will be reading their own part oh. 30 years ago. And, um, so it's open to it's at the Unitarian Church on Franklin and Geary this afternoon, too. The other announcements? John mentioned that I think you dedicated your talk today in part to uh, Blanche Hartman, yeah. your teacher. Blanche is the uh, Dharma speaker next Saturday morning at the Zen Center, uh, 10 a.m., so I'm looking forward to her uh, talk next weekend. Oh, thank you. I didn't know I had to go to <laughs> Accepted. And next Sunday um, is the GBF retreat, so uh, many of us, or at least 30 or so of us, will be there, and there will be a small group discussion. There's a sign-up sheet on the credenza out there if you want to be on the mailing list. Okay, and one more. Uh, someone uh, in the uh, song that mentioned last week that the uh, fellowship really uh, doesn't have very much money at all. So this is not true. Really? No. Someone told me that. No, it's not true. Okay. Peter, you? never mind. <laughs> well, I shouldn't keep you from, from yeah. five to one. Yes, <laughs> 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 
<laughs> well, we're running a little bit uh, short on, that, uh, on time, so uh, what, uh, but uh, we do have uh, a new uh, person over here. Tell me your name again. I'm Tucker. Tucker. Uh, anybody else? Uh, just here for the first time, so make sure that you have to say hi to them. And let's all hands and do our By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness, which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.